Thanks for joining us today on the Harvest Podcast. Now here's today's message. We pray that it will bless your life as you listen. Well, today, I'm looking forward to it. We're starting a brand new little series. Let's call it Use It or Lose It. No, it's not a game show. No, it's not um, about your vacation time. It's not what it's about at all. This, uh, this series is all about stewardship. Um, and no, it's not a series entirely about your money. We're going to see where that plays into it a little bit later, but we'll get there. This is a series that we're doing all together across the campus. And so today we're talking about the same big idea. They're talking about the same big idea over there. Um, all, all, we're using the same bottom line, okay? Uh, why the same bottom line? You mean, what is a bottom line? The bottom line is very simply this. If there's one thing you're going to remember from what we talk about today, this, that's the bottom line. The one thing a preacher or any speaker wants you to remember, that's the bottom line. Uh, in my sermon notes and all my, my personal preparation, at the very top of every sermon, there's one sentence written. There's a one-sentence summary that I put at the very top, and if I can get you to remember that one-sentence summary, then I have done a great job. After that, it's the Holy Spirit's job to help you to remember everything else, because some of us are like the kids, and we've got you know a 0.5-second uh, attention span. Uh, some, some of us have this uh, disease... Now, I'm going to call it a disease. Everything's a disease these days, right? Uh, you have, we have a disease. I'm not saying you. I mean, we have a disease um, that if our seat has been sitting still for more than about two minutes, then our eyelids start to shut. So some, some of us suffer from that disease. The bottom line is the main thing we want you to remember. And, and today's bottom line, okay, because I'm using the same terminology for you to use with your kids and grandkids on purpose um, during this series. The, today's bottom line is really, really simple. It's this. Remember, everything belongs to the Lord. Everything belongs to the Lord. That first word's really important. Remember. You know, like in The Lion King, right? Remember who you are. I don't have the voice that he does, but still, remember, everything belongs to the Lord. Everything belongs to God. It's all he is, right? That's the whole thing. Hey, have you ever had something stolen from you? Anybody ever, had, anybody ever been robbed? There's, there's some, one, one lady in our church that was mugged at gunpoint. Can't imagine what that was like for her. To have walked through that entire process, it's just an, a mind-blowing event that that would happen in Oklahoma City because you think of hearing like somebody being mugged, like that's a New York City thing, but it happened here on the south side of Oklahoma City, like on the other side of 240. The part that, and allegedly in our community, you're supposed to be safe and that kind of stuff's not supposed to happen, but it did. If you've ever been robbed, you know that feeling, that, that gut-wrenching feeling. Now, I've never had my home broken into, but I have had my car broken into. Uh, I'd come home one day, car was parked in front of the house and I wasn't driving it that day. I'd come home and I noticed that the driver's side door was a little ajar. And I thought, well, that's weird because I always lock it. But I had noticed the day before that Hayes was playing with the key and I didn't think anything of it. I come home that day and realized it was more than him playing with the key. He had unlocked the door and I didn't know it because I hadn't gotten in it. But when I got in it to find out why the door was open, I realized that everything that was valuable inside of it was gone. Now, they didn't get anything significantly value, valuable. They got a little, an old iPod, um, like one of the first generation iPods that you kind of hang on to because um, it holds so much and everything is, we hung on to it. 
There were some old sunglasses that were in there that came from like the dollar store, so nothing of significant value. But nonetheless, the feeling of being violated was still present because it wasn't theirs to take. It was mine. And someone stole it. Now, we, probably you can all, we can all relate to this one. We've been robbed in other ways as well. Um, my, my mother-in-law is a pie thief. Back at Thanksgiving last year, my sister-in-law made the best apple pie I have ever had in my life, reminding me exactly of what my grandmother used to make when I was a kid that taught me to love apple pie. Nobody else ate it in my family, which I was grateful for. So what pie was left, I did what you're supposed to do. I covered it up and hid it. I threatened every, now how many of you have ever done this? Just be honest. You, you found your favorite thing, you covered it up, and you hit it. Be honest. Please don't let me feel like, okay, good. I'm not the only one. Okay. But you hit it. And, and then I carried it a step farther, right? Because I got with all of my family, and I showed my kids, do you see this pie? It's going to be hidden. If you find this, this pie in a container you're not supposed to be looking in in the first place, if you eat this pie, I will get you. And you find various buttons to push with all the family, right? You know, like with Cecily, she's terrified of frogs. So I'm like, we will put frogs in your bed. You'll never see them coming, but they'll be there. You find those, you know, well, maybe I didn't carry it that far, but still, it makes for a good story. So you, you find ways, you make sure that they know, do not eat this pie. Well, as the week went on, I had eaten all but one piece. And I was saving that one piece. My mother-in-law comes over, God bless her soul. And she's asking, hey, where's the pumpkin pie? You can have all the pumpkin pie you want. I didn't care how good that pumpkin pie was. It was not as good as that apple pie. She goes in and she gets a piece of pie. I didn't think anything about it. She sits at the table, eats that piece of pie. I was in the living room. I was watching a football game. Didn't think anything about it. I go in there later on to get my piece of pie. My, my piece of pie. Mine. I felt like a two-year-old. Mine. And what has happened? My mother-in-law has eaten my piece of pie. I haven't liked her since then. I did. It's my refrigerator. She said, you didn't have your name written on it. It's my refrigerator. You don't eat the last of anything in somebody else's house without asking. The way I was taught, but that's a different story. I didn't, I, it, she's a thief. She's a thief. She's a thief. That's all there is to it. It's my story, and she's a thief, doggone it. She's a thief. Here's the truth, though. God understands what it's like to be robbed. You know why? Number one, because the Bible says so, but let's look at how it says so. In Psalms chapter 24, verse 1, it says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all of its people belong to him. It's all his. Amen? It's all his. Everything. It's a very straightforward verse. But as I was really studying, I thought there's, there's a word missing in this verse. There's a word that should have been there that's not there. I don't know why the David who wrote the psalm didn't put it in, but it makes a lot more sense, and it's the word except. Verse, that word must have been left out in the Hebrew because it should say that the earth is the Lord's and everything is in it except. That's where it goes, except. Because what do we do? We, it's all his. It, except my car, except my house, except 
except my clothes, except my fishing tackle, except my golf clubs, except, find, find your thing, except my electronics. It's all his, except these things. I think, I think old Davy Boy got it right when he wrote it, when he said everything in it. Everything belongs to God. Everything is his. It's really crystal clear. It's really cut and dried, very straightforward. It's all his. Just, just look at your neighbor and say, it's all his. It's all his. Think about it. The creator of the universe, everything belongs to him. It's all his. He made it all. The world around us, the sky above us, the sea that, that surrounds all of the land that we live on. He filled the world with plants and with animals and with us, with people. He filled it with this. Now, now maybe you're thinking, I, now, now God didn't make, he didn't literally make my car that I drove here in today. He didn't literally make the medicine that I take that keeps my blood pressure down so I don't choke my wife. I mean, uh, uh, so, 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 so I, I, my heart doesn't do its thing, right? He didn't literally make those things. And you know what? You'd be right. He didn't literally make them. He, he didn't literally make the medicine. He didn't literally make your car. But you know what he did do? He did make every element that was used to make those things. He, he, he made the people to whom he gave brains to. And yes, I know it's maybe contrary to public opinion. Everyone does have a brain. They may, they may not use it the same way that we would, but, but they, they do have a brain. Uh, regardless of which side of the political aisle you may line up on, the other side, they, they do have a brain, okay? Just give them that benefit of the doubt. Give them a little bit of grace. And not only did God make us and give us brains, but he gave us ingenuity. He gave us understanding. He gave us wisdom. He gave people that who, who made the engine that goes in the car. Uh, he, he made the, uh, the, the people that made the door to keep you inside the car, the seat that you sat on in the car, these people made it and God made the people and he gave them the smarts to make it. He also gave them the smarts to discover gasoline from oil to make the car go. He, he, made all of, he made all of it because he made us and he's the creator, we're just the creation. So in all actuality, he, he didn't make the car literally, but he did make his creation and his creation made it. And one thing to be sure of, he is thrilled when his creation subdues the land and enjoys it and is satisfied with what he's created. The greatest thing you and I can do is to be satisfied with what God created and gave us to be a steward of. He made us to do that. He said to subdue the land, to conquer, and to subdue it so that, to take dominion and rule over it, so that we would be as satisfied with creation as he was. He already had it. And he said for us to do the same thing. So everything goes back to God. The earth is the Lord's and so is everything that's in it. I want you to look at your other neighbor and tell him it's all his. Now, some of you didn't participate. We're not giving out participation trophies but we'd still like you to do it. Look at your other neighbor and say, it's all his. Now, in this series this month, we're gonna be looking at what it is to recognize that everything we have is God's. And, and please understand this. By doing this, it doesn't make us less responsible. It actually makes us more responsible. Because at the end, we're taking care of what belongs to God. 
Okay? That, that's what we're taking care of. Like, let, let me show you. Like, for instance, this, this. It's a clock. This clock. This clock belongs to God. Yes, this, this specific one has the numbers etched into the metal face. Has a battery in it that works. Yes, it's fast by five minutes. Don't get it. Don't be trying to cut me off here. This, it belongs to God. But, but what does this represent more so? It represents time. It represents time. We all have time. Each and every one of us measure our lives by time. We're all given 525,600 minutes. I thought about singing that line because it's from a, a song that I, I kind of like, but I, me and singing and you and your ears, I'm thoughtful in that and not going to do it. We all have 525,600 minutes in a year. It's how we measure our lives. Each and every one of us are given the exact same amount. What we do with it determines on whether or not we've invested it or whether or not we've wasted it. We all love to have free time, don't we? To spend doing the things that we enjoy, fishing, golfing, hanging out with our family, our kids, enjoying the people that are around us, going out to dinner with, with those who make us laugh and bring joy to our hearts, hanging out with them. I mean, we, we enjoy those kinds of things, listening to good music, going to a concert, seeing a movie. We enjoy spending our time freely and well. At the same time, oh boy, time can sure stress us out, can it? How, how many of you had a little stressful moment maybe this, this morning trying to figure out which shoes you were going to put on in the closet before you came to church? Anybody? No? Of course, Benny. Sometimes time stresses us out because deadlines roll around. Oh, man, this is due on that day. It's a, it's a measurement of time. It's a measurement of when and where. And contrary to public opinion, there's still only 24 hours in a day. I know having 25 in a day would be nice sometimes, but we don't. We all have 24 hours. So when we think about time, do we think about it from the perspective and position of it being my time, or do we think about it from the perspective and the position of it being God's time that's on loan to me to be a steward of and spend well? What about this? No, it's not a part of Benny's arsenal for the, uh, the percussion area. It would work. My daughter wishes that this was much fuller, not so it would shake more, but so she'd have more money to spend. It's a nice little piggy bank. I don't remember who gave it to her, but it's beautiful. It has her name on the side. She wanted me to make sure everyone knew that this was her piggy bank. She asked me this morning if, uh, if we were going to take up the offering in it because she could use some more money. Said, no, baby, it doesn't work that way. But that's, that's a funny thought right there. I don't care who you are. That's a kid that's been in church her whole life, right? But this, this piggy bank, it's representative of money. It represents our, our, our money, the money that we've worked long and hard to achieve and, and to, to gather together, whether that's over the last pay period or whether that's over the course of our lifetime to develop our, our, our um, retirement so that we can enjoy those latter years in our life and not have to worry about it. But this is representative of our money. Do we see this as my money or God's money? 
I'm not going to leave that there. You guys will never see anything else. What, what, about, what about this? It's a backpack, right? It's not, it's not full of all the things that your kids had taken away at school. This represents the stuff in our life. So like, for me, there's a computer in it. Computer stuff, technology, it's kind of an important thing to me. Enjoy it. Uh, our phone would be, maybe, maybe would, would belong in it because it's how we stay connected with people. Uh, some, some of you, um, I find, have found humorous. There have been times like on the front row when worship was going or whatever that I'll get out my phone and I'll tell it to do a live Facebook video. And then I, I, as I'm, it's going, it tells me who joined. And I'm like, oh, hey, they're sitting right over there and they're... Like, if I started a live video right here, how many of you would be like, hey, pastor, I'm watching you from the live video that you're... I thought that was interesting and unique. I ain't going to say nothing about whether or not you should or shouldn't be on Facebook in service. It's kind of like telling kids not to write notes. Now, teenagers don't get no ideas up there, okay? But still, it represents, like, how we stay connected to people. or, or You know, that, that's one aspect of it. And, you know, then, then, oh, you'd have clothes in there, right? It's a shirt. Don't get any ideas. You know, we have our clothes, the things that matter to us that are personal, that belong close up. Uh, um, maybe you'd have your, your items of faith. You know, the word, the Bible being with you, that's an important aspect to our lives, right? So, so this represents all of the stuff that's involved and invested in our lives. What, how do we see that? This whole idea today and, and this whole month is all about how do we see the stuff that we have, the time that we're given, the money that we possess, do we view it as it being God's or do we view it as being mine? Are we the typical toddler two-year-old, mine, 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 or are we grown up and mature and able to say, Lord, this all belongs to you because scripture teaches that everything is the Lord's, the earth and everything in it, uh, the, the King James, the earth and the fullness thereof. It's all his, every part of it. So we've got to shift our perspective to not seeing all of this stuff as mine, but to seeing it as God's, and that will shift the way that we treat the things that we're given. Because stewardship at the end of the day is what it's all about. Stewardship is about perspective. Do I see it correctly? Do I see the things that I've got correctly? Do I value them greatly? Do I respect them deeply? See, Jesus' model for stewardship is really, really simple. Prove yourself faithful in little and you'll be, have the opportunity to be given much. Jesus demonstrates this in Matthew 25, 14 through 30, when he tells the, the parable of the talents. Now, this parable is interestingly sandwiched between two different parables that are about end times events. The first one is about the ten virgins. The second one uh, uh, is the virgin or the, the parable about the sheep and the goats. In between it, you have one about stewardship. Are you ready? It's what the ten virgins talent is or the ten virgins parable is about. Are you ready? Have you prepared? How are you taking care of what you've been given? And then one day there's going to come a separating. Are you a sheep or are you a goat? I'm not asking you to look around the room and try to figure out who's a sheep and who's a goat. But Jesus said he was going to separate them one day. But we've got to learn to deal with what he's placed in our lives. We find here Jesus' instructions for utilizing the gifts and the talents 
that he's placed there. In this story, and we're not going to read all of it, in this story, he talks about three different people. All three were given a different amount. One was given five, one was given two, and one was given one. Now, in the New Living Translation we're going to read out of, it talks about a bag of money, a talent, okay? That's the the older phrase that that was used in the Greek, a talent, a certain sum of money. In this uh, this story, two of the three stewarded well what was given to them. And in the end, what they had was greatly increased. But one guy, not so much. One guy, he buried his head in the sand, played it safe because he was afraid that the risk he might take to advance it would come back to bite him in the end, even though it wasn't even his. He didn't take the chance. It didn't end well for him. Beginning of verse 24, it says, Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, harvesting crops that you didn't plant and gathering crops that you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. We would think that's a good thing, right? Here's your money back. I, I, so sometimes that would be enough, but not in this story. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops that I didn't plant and gathered crops that I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. And to those, to those who use well what they're given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Jesus said if we don't utilize what we're given, even that can be taken from us. If we're not a good steward with what's been placed in our lives, that can go to somebody else. Now, I really wish, this is one of those verses, I wish wasn't there. I wish it was easier to say, hey, you know what? He's full of grace and full of mercy. And you know what? Just give it back to him and it'll be good. That's not what he said. He said, you know what? If you don't use this well and use it right, then you know what? It's going to be taken from you. Man, I wish that wasn't there. I wish sometimes Jesus didn't use such strong wording, but he did. Here, let me, let me apply it a little bit better for us. Sometimes we wonder why we struggle, why we don't see God's blessing in our lives, right? Perhaps, perhaps, just maybe, it's because we've not necessarily been the best of stewards and proven ourselves trustworthy. I, I, I wish that, again, I wish that wasn't the principle, but it is. So don't get frustrated when we see others being blessed and I'm sitting over here struggling because when God put a blessing in my life, I didn't see it correctly and I wasted it on what I wanted to spend it on. James says you, you, ha- you ask and don't receive because you ask amiss, because you ask so you can spend it on yourselves. It's not mine. Every blessing that comes my way is not mine. Now, I'm not saying Jesus doesn't want you to enjoy the blessings, but what I am saying is you better make sure it's okay that he doesn't have a better plan for it when you get it. How many times has God dropped $100 in your lap and he's wanting to see if you got sticky fingers? I can't tell you how many times in my own life this blessing will come along and I'm like, wow, yeah, let's go do this and let's spin it here there and we're going to go do this and that. And the next thing you know, not two weeks later, I'm going, man, I wish I had $100. God will more than happily dump blessings in our lives. But we have to steward well. What does it mean to steward well? It means to not spend everything we get. It means that we don't waste it and spend it frivolously. It means we use wisdom. 
Anytime there's a famine that comes, God is much, nine times out of 10, he's already put everything we need in our lives. It's a matter of did we steward it well when we got it. The Bible says if we lack wisdom to ask, there is nothing wrong with admitting we need help. Anybody ever needed help? You ever needed help with your finances? Oh man, I remember when I was, I was about 20 years old. I was living on my own. I was a, a junior high youth pastor at Crossroads. I didn't have a swinging clue how you're supposed to make that checkbook work. Didn't know how to anything. I, so I thought something's got to give. I've got some things out of balance. I don't understand. And I remember walking into my friends, Eric and Nikki Cheatham, walked into their house. They lived just down the street from where I was staying. I walked in and uh, I said, what's going on? Not much. How's everybody? Great, great, great. They were in the office working on some stuff, and I just sat there and I said, hey, Nikki, I got a question. And she said, sure, what's that? And I literally took the checkbook in the ledger and just threw it on the desk and said, I don't know how to make that thing work. And she looked through it and she said, no, I think you exactly know how to make that check card work. <laughs> Maybe you better said, you need to learn how to make it quit working. And you need to learn to do some saving, and you need to learn how to get some things in order and in proper perspective and begin to go through and teach me just how the fundamentals of finances worked and how little basic principles of stewardship worked and learn how to save. And then when Rachel and I were getting married, we had gotten out of debt and we wanted to buy a house. And lo and behold, because of the principles that Nikki taught me years before, sitting there about how to quit spending so much, when we wanted to buy a house, we were able to save the money for the down payment before the house could be finished and we were able to get it all done. Why? Because you learned how to save. This is not a pat me on the back, look at what I was able to do. It's because I knew what I was not, so I asked for help to, to be able to figure it out. Same thing happens spiritually. A lot of times we struggle and we wonder, how do we have faith? How do I have faith to see this come about? How do I steward what God's given me? But I don't know how to have faith to see that come to pass. You know what? How many times do we have those moments come when we need to just go sit down and say, Eugene, teach me about faith. You've been there. You've experienced it. How do you have faith to see you through this storm? Because I don't know how to have faith for this. Marvin, how do I have faith for this? Nina, how do I have faith for this? How do I get through this? You go to the elders of the church and you say, help me through this. And people then can help. But you'll never know what you need until you know what you're not. I'll never know I need it until I'm willing to admit I don't have it. That's what stewardship is about. Sometimes we don't know, but we've got to step back and allow those moments to happen where we can ask so we can steward well, we've got to see it correctly to be able to use it wisely. If it's all his, then we've got to trust that he wants it to advance as badly as we do. Steward does that. We've got to see it the way God wants us to see it. Because when we see it correctly, then we can value the opportunity greatly that's in front of us. David understood the principles of stewardship. David got it. David realized that, you know what, kingdom's not mine. It's not, it's not mine. It's not mine to take care of. He'd had plenty of times where he tried to make it his, but he learned. He valued God's blessing and God's sovereign control over everything that was transpiring. Now, in David's life, admittedly, he'd made plenty of mistakes. Anybody in here ever make a mistake? Yeah. We make mistakes. David had made the mistake of thinking that he was in control of how the kingdom was supposed to run. 
and that he was above the law and above the rules. And when his sins were shouted from the rooftops by the prophet Nathan, it came at a very costly price. David again learned to value greatly what was most important to him his whole life, and that was the presence of God. So when his throne was under assault from his own son, his own son betraying him, standing at the gate, winning the hearts of the people in order to steal the throne from his father, when his own son assaulted the throne that God had given him, David didn't fight it the conventional way. Instead, David said, you know what? This is God's, and I'm going to trust him. How do I know that that's the case? Let me show you in scripture. 2 Samuel 15, 25 and 26. The king instructed Zadok, who was the high priest, to go and take the ark of God back to the city. Again, he's valuing the presence of God. So he's telling him, take the presence of God. They're on the run. They're fleeing the city. Absalom is on the attack. He's fleeing the city. And he says, take the ark back. Take it back to the city. If the Lord sees fit, David said, he'll bring me back to see the ark in the tabernacle again. But if he is through with me, then let him do what seems best to him. Man, he knew the throne was not his to keep forever. He was not the owner. He was the steward. If God's through with me, then move me on and do what he wants. But if he's not, he'll bring me back. And that's exactly what God did. He brought him back. He, in this crucial time, he's sending the thing that's most important to him back into the hands of what would be the enemy. And he's saying, I'll come back and see if it's God's will. David was stewarding well. He knew that without the presence of God, the people of God would perish. He was stewarding what mattered most. He was stewarding. We've got to learn to steward what matters most, and that's God's presence. We've got to steward what is most important and most influential in our lives and get past the idea that we're in control. We like to live in this, this fallacy, this illusion that somehow we're in control of everything that our life turns out to be, and it's just not true. Either God is God or he's not. And we've got to let him step in and do his part and trust that he's got it figured out. And God does bring David back because David greatly values what has been entrusted to him. Now, the reason that David greatly valued his role as a steward in God's presence in his life is because David understood the cost of worship. Now, there's a lot that could be said here about the cost of worship and why it matters and what's important and all of those things. I want to say this. The cost of worship is what we each have to pay. I was sitting down here on the front during worship and as worship began, and you know, every Sunday as, as the pastor, I survey the, the audience and the congregation and I'm looking for, okay, who's not here? I need to follow up with them. I wonder if they're sick. And you, you work through those. And, and while I was there, the Lord just arrested my heart and said, are you going to keep looking for who's not here or are you going to worship the one who is? Well, the cost of worship means to get past the idea that somehow we're in control. For me, the cost of worship is that God's in control of this and he's the one that gives the increase. We have to get past the idea that, 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 that I somehow have this illusion that I can make something happen. At the cost of worship is something that we have to pay. David said in, in 2 Samuel 24, 24, I won't give to God that which costs me nothing. I won't give to God that which costs me nothing. It's, it's work to worship. 
It's work. Now, it's a lifestyle that we should learn to live, but there's a place and time that it's work that we have to put it in and that there's a price to be paid to worship. Worship is something that David valued and thought was incredibly important. When we value worship greatly, we can easily value what God has entrusted to our hands to steward. Because worship's the key to maintaining the proper perspective. You know what worship does? Every time we lift up our hands, you know, the Bible says, come and oh, magnify the Lord with me. It doesn't say, come and oh, magnify me. It says, magnify the Lord with me, right? Mag- worship him together. When we magnify God, you know what a magnifying glass does? Makes things bigger. It's kind of like a camera. Makes things bigger. If we put you on video, you know what happens? You're going to look at it and go, I did not gain that much weight. <laughs> I'm telling you, every time. You know, people want, hey, are you going to Facebook live services? One day, as soon as I can figure out how to make that camera squeeze things into the perspective I want, we have to see it from his perspective. And that's what worship does. It makes God bigger than all of our problems. Some of you are facing mountains. I'm not kidding, not molehills, not little things, not, not, not like just a hurdle. You're facing mountains. And I have no idea how you're going to get past them. But God, God knows. That's what happens when we greatly value worship. It keeps our perspective correct to see that God's got this under control. I mean, some of you are going, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know what this is going to look like on the other side. Trust God. Let there be a but God moment in your life. But can I tell you those happen in worship nine times out of ten when we finally shrink to the size we were created so that that but God moment can happen where we see him in his full glory, where we see him in all his majesty and splendor, where he says, I got this. We've got to have a but God moment. Worship helps to create those, helps to keep our perspective where it's supposed to be. It helps us to realize the value that God has placed on us by being willing to sacrifice his one and only son. You see, we're the people that belong to him. The Bible says in Psalm 24, 1, the earth and everything in it belongs to God. All of the people, everything and all of the people belong to him. All of them. All of them. You know who belongs to God? Me. You. Your neighbor. Your sinner son-in-law. Your thief mother-in-law. <laughs> Guess what? They all belong to God. And he died just the same for them as he did for me. And you know what? At the end of the day, it's going to be for God to sort out and to get even when it's time to get even. It's not for me. It's not for me to take vengeance on my thief of a mother-in-law for taking that last piece of pie. I promise I'm not bitter. By the time Thanksgiving is over with, I will have moved on because Lorraine will have made me another apple pie. I will have moved on and I will find a better hiding spot. Nonetheless... God died, sent his son to die for all of us, for me and for you and for your neighbor and for everybody, for the person you despise the most. He sent his son to pay a price they couldn't pay. He sent his son to give his life to bring us into redemption when we didn't know we were a sinner and needed a savior. That's how good God is. That's how much he values us. And if he values me that much, guess what? 
I need to greatly value what God places in my life because it's a small reflection in who he is. Because it's all his. So when we see correctly, we can value greatly. And nine times out of ten, it's because we deeply respect the one who owns it. Being a good steward is easy when we deeply respect the owner. When we deeply respect the owner, it's easy to be a good steward. Let that sink in for just a minute. It's easy to steward what's not mine if I really respect the person whom it belongs to. When the owner comes in and says, hey, I'm going to entrust this entire thing to you. Here, I want you to run this just like I would. See, that's, that's the difference between a steward and a manager. Management, by definition, is to maintain to keep things rolling the way that they are. I need to manage these people to keep things rolling, by definition. A steward is different. A steward is to do things exactly as the owner would do if they were here. We've got to steward well. We've got to answer some questions. Do I, do I respect the owner enough to do the way things he wants me to because it's all his? Do I respect him enough to not get my way when I may not agree with the instructions. Come on, it's all his. There's some instructions in the Bible that I wish weren't there. That whole love your enemy thing. Right? That whole, hey, by the way, don't rob God with your tithe and offering thing. Boy, I wish that wasn't there, but it's still there. I wish we could go through and, and line item things out of the scripture and be like, that doesn't apply to us and we need to take that. That doesn't really fit in our culture today. I'm, I'm sorry, but it's still in the word. Do I, do I respect him enough to take a risk and do it in a way that honors him so that he can give it an increase? You see, a lot of times God's placed things in our life, but we're scared. Anybody ever been scared of failing? Anybody have a fear of failure? I'm a, I want to try that, but I'm afraid it won't work out. Boy, that, that, that can be crippling. You know, when it comes to matters of faith, don't worry about it. At the end of the day, who's on the hook for it, me or God? God. So when we ask questions like, if you knew you couldn't fail, what would you do? We should say everything. I would love to give everything I've got. Well, let me tell you a little story. There's a story about a man who started a plumbing company. He wanted to honor God, so he gave 10%. The next year, he thought, you know what? God's been so good to my business, I'm going to do more. So he did 11%. And he thought, you know what? God's been so good to my business, I'm going to give more. I'm going to give 15%. On and on and on, and he just kept giving. He thought, this year, this is going to be the time I'm going to outgive God. Well, lo and behold, he looked up, and finally, at the end of his life, his business was giving 90% of their income and he was living on 10% because he just thought, I'm gonna try it. Some, yeah. Friends, those of us who believe it go, man, that's awesome. Some of us are like, eh, a little iffy. If I told you you couldn't fail, why wouldn't you try? It's still there. Do I, own, do, do I respect God enough to do it his way? Do I respect him enough to be his proxy, 
who's supposed to advance what's in my care just as the owner would. I mean, do I respect God enough to say, Lord, you gave me this much time. How can I spend it in a way that honors you? You gave me this much. I want to be a good steward. See, my goal at the end of my life is to look back and leave what was given to me to steward better than when I received it. I want to leave it better off. I want my family to be better off. I want the world around me to be better off. I want the, the, the church to be better off. I want our community to be better off because we were here, because we stewarded God's blessings well to make a difference locally and around the world. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, one day we're all going to stand before God. How many of you believe we're all going to stand before God? You know what we want to hear him say? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. Well done. Not, hey, could have done better. I, I, don't, I don't want to stand before God and for him to say, hey, you know what? Trav, let me talk to you about the way you, oh, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to get there and realize all of the blessings that could have been in my life had I not had sticky fingers and held on to the small test that came my way before God could dump the huge truckloads of blessings in my lap. See, every time there's a test, every time in our lives, God's gonna test, of, test us of can we be a good steward with this before he can open the floodgates to more. These stewards that are mentioned in Matthew 25 in the parable that Jesus gives, they were tested with two and with five and with one. We don't think much of having two. If I gave you $2 and said, do a good job with this, and you brought back four, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you a whole bunch more because you did a good job. God does the same thing. We have to be good stewards with what he's given us. So my goal one day is to stand before God and for him to say, well done. Well done. I don't want him to look at me and go, why didn't you pay attention to the parable? You're just like the man with one. You stuck your head in the ground and said, eh, maybe one day it'll work out. God, I don't want to take a chance. I don't want to do this your way. You see, at the end of the day, we're all going to have to give an account. Are you a good steward? Are you? I can't answer that question for you. I can point out what Scripture says. Here's the hallmarks of being a good steward. Are you a good steward? If not, then today's your chance to say, Lord, help me be a good steward. And by the way, stewardship has way more to do than just with finances. But that sure is an easy jumping off point. We can talk about all kinds of stuff. What about your, and we're going to this month, we're going to talk about time, we're going to talk about stuff, we're going to talk about, what about our health? What about our kids? What about Everything that God's placed in our lives, are we stewarding well? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Perhaps you're here today and you would say, you know what, Pastor? It's really ringing a bell for me because I really have not been stewarding my relationship with the Lord very well. I really have not. I've allowed things to crowd out what was really important. I've allowed my life to live under the tyranny of the urgent things that had to be dealt with right now but cost me the things that were genuinely important. My, my, my devotion life. I haven't spent much time with the Lord and I want to I renew my desire and my fervor for more because our relationship with God has to be stewarded as well. Can we be faithful for him to give us 
more? Can we be faithful with the words he's put on deposit in our life? Can we be faithful? So today, man, if that's you, and maybe you've allowed sin to crowd out what truly was important. Maybe you've allowed sin to, to push everything else out of the way. If that's you, would you slip up a hand? Anybody at all, okay? All right. Who else? Okay, put your hands down. Thank you. Today's your day. Today's your chance to say, you know what? I want to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and walk with him. Today's the day I want to start over. Maybe you're here and this is where it kind of hits you. You've not been the best steward in your life with what God's placed. You've not, you've not really cared about it being his. But, but today you want to shift that perspective from everything being mine to everything being God's. And if that's you and you would just be honest enough to say, you know, Pastor, I need help with that. Would you slip up a hand? Okay. Who else? All right. Thank you. Put your hands down. Folks, here's where the rubber meets the road. We don't know what we need until we know what we're not. Then once we know what that is, then we've got to do something about it. See, the pressure still is on me and it's on you to steward well what was given to us. Guess what? Today's an opportunity for you to steward. It's an opportunity for me to steward. What am I going to do with this opportunity? Am I going to respond and let God begin to mold and shape my life? Or am I going to sit back and say, eh, Lord, I think we got it under control. And you know what? Some of you are fantastic stewards. Some of you are great. You, you got it. But allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart. In just a moment, our elders and our prayer team are going to come and they're going to be around these altars. If you raised your hand and said, you know what, Pastor, I've allowed sin to crowd out my relationship with God, then you know what? Today is a day you can find salvation. Today's a day that you can find recommitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you raised your hand and said, you know what, I've struggled to be a good steward. You know what? The Bible says that whatever we ask, if we lack wisdom to ask, and he'll give it without measure. The Bible says that if we need prayer, we're to call on the elders of the church. That's what we're going to do. We're going to make that available. If you need prayer for anything, then today is your day. So all across the room, as you stand, our elders and prayer team are going to make their way. They're going to sing one more song. And as they do, we want you to respond. And if you raise your hand or you need prayer for anything, make your way down. So all across the room, if you would stand where you're at, please. Elders, prayer team, make your way. As they're coming, if you need prayer for anything, we want to pray with you. We want to agree with you for God's very best in your life. If it's for salvation, if it's for rededication, we want to pray with you. You know what? If it's you're struggling with stewardship, we want to pray with you. If you want to see it as God's way, you know what? We want you to come forward. So as they sing, if you raise your hand, please begin to make your way this way.